Hello and welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. On this episode, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood interviewing choreographer Liam Scarlett before a performance of his ballet Frankenstein on February 24th, 2017. Hope you enjoy. So welcome to everyone. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet. And um, as you know, we are... um, in the final weekend of the momentous production of Frankenstein. I want to welcome you all to the War Memorial Opera House here in San Francisco and to our Meet the Artist interview. Without any further ado, I would like to, um, (laughs) you can all see plainly sitting here, um, our choreographer, Liam Scarlett. And thank you for being with us. Before we uh, really get into the meat of this, I do want to give you a little bit of context. You can certainly go to the company website where there's a wealth of information and background information and videos, uh, biographies, program notes. You will see much in your program. But um, I think it's um, sort of helpful for us to have a moment of introduction here and to say uh, Liam is one of a young, rising generation of choreographers. Liam was trained at the Royal Ballet School in London, uh, joined the company right out of school, I imagine, um, was a member of the Corps and then promoted after three years to the rank of first artist. And I wonder, is that analogous to our soloists or roughly? Um, The Europeans have a slightly different way of naming the hierarchy. Uh, and then retired from performing in 2012 after a relatively brief performing career in order to devote full-time to choreography. While you were still a student in the school, I read that you uh, did a great deal of choreography, received some prestigious-sounding awards for choreography. So I would say creating dances has always been a primary movement for you. Can you say a little bit about that? Um, I think when I was at school, it was, it was something that you don't even think about. I think, first of all, every single dancer who goes into this career never makes a conscious decision for it to become a full-time career. We are incredibly fortunate to do a job that we all love and that we have loved from such a young age. And I was always um, very interested in arranging things. I can remember, you know, when I was at school, all my pencils used to be lined up nice and neatly. Um, I'd make sure that the the date and the heading was always in line. Um, And I think an an extension of that was um, arranging people eventually. Um, And that's how it kind of all, it all kicked off. And when you're 11, you don't, you don't think about maybe a, a career in it. You do it because you enjoy it. And because it makes you feel kind of whole as a person. And so every day I wake up and I'm incredibly lucky to be doing this. The um, works that you have done, and there's this very long list already, uh, include a number of full-length works. As I understand it, Frankenstein is the first full-length work um, 
commissioned by the Royal Ballet, and I should add, when Liam retired from performing, he was given the title, the, the role of uh, artist in residence. And I wonder if that's a little bit analogous to our choreographer in residence, which we have designated Yuri Posikov, as many of you know. <clears throat> um, and I should also remind us that we already have two of your works in our repertoire here at San Francisco Ballet. Hummingbird from 2014, I think, and um, Fearful Symmetries from a year ago. Um, neither of those actually had named characters and told a story. And yet, when I looked at the list of your works, most of them seem to be stories or have characters. Am I, am I getting that right? Uh, not only that, but some of, most of them appear to have fairly gritty... You can say it. <laughs> ...gritty, dark stories and subject matter. So, will you say a little bit more about how you are drawn to storytelling? Storytelling, um, and when we started rehearsing Frankenstein, I kind of sat the company down and said that this wasn't a ballet, this was a story. And the main objective is to transport an audience on a journey and take them from beginning to end, but make sure that these characters live without outside of this ballet. It has to be believable that you see these people and you think, hang on, what, how, are they, how are they before the curtain went up? And as soon as the curtain goes down, you want to know, for the ones that are still alive by the end of the ballet, <laughs> how they're going to go on. Um, so storytelling has been such a vital part, I think, of the, the human condition since, since cavemen. You know, the, the etchings on the wall and... Every, everything since then, it's been, you know, one of the most primitive forms of entertainment and still one of our most vital forms of entertainment and pleasure that I think any human can, can give one another. Um, to be able to tell a good story is magical. And in response to your maybe... Um, comment about gritty stuff, um, I am a big... Um, I have a huge interest in the human psyche and uh, the studies that the psych uh, psychologists do and the human kind of basic emotions that can be divided up into, I think they've narrowed it down to about seven now. And unfortunately, the majority of them are actually negative emotions in terms of jealousy, anger, rage, and, and all of this. So as humans, we um, have a bigger understanding of maybe the um, negative impact on life as opposed to just happiness and surprise, which comes to positivity. Um, and so our understanding of maybe the, the worser things in life um, are, are greater, sadly, sorry to say. Um, it's also when you come into a theater, I think everyone... Everyone likes to indulge in a little bit of fantasy. I'm going to say everything that no one ever says, and I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> um, but it's wonderful to come into a theater for the lights to go down and for you to get lost in something that you will know, you know, hopefully, will never happen to you in life. And it's kind of, it's mesmerizing how you can, you can get lost in something. Um, I have done happier works, I must admit. I do delve into comedy occasionally. Um, and even there's hints of it in there. Um, but 
it's the kind of meatier stuff that I think you, you can really get lost in. Thank you. I'm delighted, well, I'm delighted. I'm very pleased to hear that answer and have been wondering about this ever since I read about, um, I think it's Sweet Violet, which is about Jack the Ripper. My, my mom does worry about me occasionally, I, I must admit. <laughs> but, uh, and just before we move on, have you ever done a tutu ballet? Will you ever yes, do a tutu ballet? I, I must admit, um, I have the utmost respect for classical ballet, and I think within its, within its core, Frankenstein really kind of harks back to the, the heritage of these full-length ballets. My most revered ballet for me is Swan Lake. Um, the score, the story, the, the idyllic projections of beauty that it projects. And again, it is, it's a harrowing story when you get to it. I think all of us have kind of forgotten the, the dark side of Swan Lake. That, that, that it is. It's not a nice story at all. And yet, it's been put on a pedestal, and completely rightly so, but it is, for me, it is, it's, it's, it's one of those perfect pieces, and there's only kind of two real perfect ballets that I think are out there, and that is definitely one of them. The question was, have you done a tutu choreography? Yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> so paying homage to Swan Lake, and you've actually put dancers on stage in tutus. I would love to, is it recorded? Can I find that on YouTube? It should be somewhere, yeah. Because in a couple of weeks, you know, we'll get a chance to see Fearful Symmetries. That's which definitely not. I don't think, it, no, it's not. It's not, I wouldn't have called it dark or um, gritty. No. It's contemporary style, movement, yes. but very, very physical. It's physical, it's sensual, it is a, a kind of direct response to what I believed uh, the John Adams score to be, mm. which is... A phenomenal, phenomenal score. I think he is one of the most prolific kind of contemporary composers mm -hmm. that, that you have in America. And his work, again, spans a whole spectrum. Um, but f for me, this piece is, mm -hmm. is the most mm -hmm. visceral. And it, it drives. And the, there was no other kind of response for me in terms of movement than to what I did. Well, on to Frankenstein. The obvious question is, where did, where did this come from? What welled up in you and said, this looks like a good full-length ballet? Oh. Um, many people phrase that question as to why, and I always respond, why not? Um, and I think you have to look at it as to, don't look at the reasons why it should be but there are no reasons why it shouldn't be. It, as a novel, um, I first read when I was 10 or 11 and subsequently came back to it at different stages of my life, and it ho has always resonated with a different aspect. I think the older that you get, it, it loses maybe its, its supernatural macabre that you initially kind of um, respond to, and then it's... Uh, it's a complete meditation on the human condition that is entirely relevant today, I think now more so than ever, um, about the isolation of people who initially seem different from their appearance uh, or from what they believe in or from what they have been labeled as. Um, and 
the majority's response to them. So within that, um, it has quite a, th a, a thematic quality that is, it's, it should be humbling to the human race and it should be relevant. And also within that, it has the most beautiful love story between so many of the characters, not just between Victor and Elizabeth, but between the creature. And love appears in every single form that it can possibly appear, whether it's unrequited, unfulfilled, jealous, um, unspoken. It's, you know, love is, and at the risk of sounding too cliched, love is really, I think, why we wake up every day for our families, for our friends, for the people that we never have the the guts to say that we love to them. Um, and I think, you know, on on everyone's deathbed, there's there's always a, a maybe slight regret that we didn't say it enough. Mm. And I think this ballet really resonates to that. And I think Mary Shelley knew that there were so many people in her life that she didn't say it enough to or that didn't say it enough to her. And this was, in essence, an autobiographical cry for help and maybe some sort of closure because she wrote so many novels after that but none of them that had the the resonance of this piece and the complexity of the themes um, for those of you who are just coming in um, I'm in conversation with Liam Scarlett who has the choreographer uh, for the ballet Frankenstein and I also <clears throat> on the off chance that there are those of you who are drawn to seeing this production and not realizing that you have gone back to the source, to the Mary Shelley novel. There's, um, as I said earlier, I um, had not read it until recently and had never seen the Boris Karloff movie. Neither have I. And I actually did know Young Frankenstein, the Gene Wilder. Haven't seen and that either. <laughs> You, when this is behind you, you really must. Then. Oh, there's, um, a, there's a whole pile that I'm going to get through once, once all of this is done. Um, it's, yeah. But the, 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 um, the novel is a good read. And I, I asked this the other night, and I'm going to ask it again. How many of you have actually read, show of hands, the novel? Wonderful. So really a good, a good number of our folks are coming well prepared. Um, that said, you um, had to fit this into three hours. And there are a lot of threads and strands in the novel. You made some, shall we call them dramaturgical choices, to do some editing. Can you say something about how you made those choices? Difficult, I imagine. I think when you take one form of art in any genre and transport it to another, um, sacrifices have to be made or you have to look at the fortes in which that art form can provide you. Literature is one of the greatest art forms in terms of the, the word and the formulation of words can be so beautiful. And Mary Shelley wrote a true masterpiece. It is poetic and stunningly captivating. And it's strange because the human language has a limited number of words. And it's the order in which you put them that somehow transports it into 
eloquence and perfection. And she, she does that. She's not inventing any new words. It's just the correct order that she puts them in um, that makes it wonderful. An author has the opportunity in one page to span 10 countries, 20 years, five characters, and on stage, that is, in a word, impossible. Um, so edits have to be made, otherwise we would be here all night, or it would have started at 2 p.m. and still not finished until midnight. Um, but it's, it was really going to the essence of things. And again, I wanted to pick up on the kind of the main characters. Some of, some of them I've kind of amalgamated into one character, maybe several characters. The themes that I'm dealing with maybe have been kind of switched around from character to character. Um, and any of the blanks I've actually filled in with Mary Shelley's own life in terms of, for instance, the, the death of the mother. Um, in the book, she dies of scarlet fever, which I thought was ironic, considering my name. Um, and scarlet fever on stage is not the easiest thing to portray. Um, she has a child, and Mary Shelley's own mother died during childbirth, and I think it affected her greatly. Um, and the whole seeking a parent um, theme is dealt with within the book. And so in order to portray this, this is what I did in my version. Um, and so every, every change I have tried to do with the utmost respect to, to the book um, and to what maybe Shelley's vision would have been. And so every, every change was very, very thought out um, and might not have necessarily been correct or might not necessarily worked as, as well as the book did, but um, I tried my best. I must say, as I was reading the novel, and I, I, there's this um, framework of an Arctic voyage, and I thought, how on earth is he going to do that? But it seems as though the design element has taken care of that. Yes. The, the book is written in a three-person narrative framework. So um, Walton, who is, explorer, is an explorer, is um, writing letters back to his sister. Um, and then Victor takes over this narrative. Then the creature takes over. Then we go back to Victor. Then we go back to Walton. Um, it's a, a brilliant um, literary device that Shelley has used, but again, quite quite difficult with the absence of words on stage. So John McFarlane, my designer, who um, is a genius in my eyes. He is an absolute genius, um, and I'm incredibly humbled to work with him. And the sets are stunning. The costumes are stunning, as you'll see. Um, and we set up this, this bookend, as you like, that would frame the entire piece within this kind of Arctic circulation, um, just as the book did. And it gives a sense of isolation. I think there's nothing more cold, both emotionally and physically, than a barren ice landscape. And so this, the whole piece is kind of framed with this, which references the beginning and the end of the book. I want to allow our audience the opportunity to ask questions. I do want you to touch on one other element, and this is leaving the, um, 
the, the drama of the story a little bit, and just the logistics. This is a shared production, and I know folks are always a little fascinated by that. I think, in my opinion, this must affect the creative process in some way. So I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about how, how it was able to work, and it premiered in London in last May, and here it is here, um, eight months later, etc. Um, Co-productions are becoming more and more frequent within the ballet and the opera world. Um, sadly, due to the economic climate um, within the arts, funding is becoming more limited. This provides a wonderful opportunity for myself and for companies to do these big productions and to still benefit in every way without having to make sacrifices. Um, for me, I don't see any hindrance with that at all. I actually see it as a, a completely positive thing. I get twice the amount of amazing artists to work with, twice the amount of inspiration, seeing it more, more often than, than usual. Um, and I was very adamant when talking with Kevin O'Hare, my director, and with Helgi Thomason here, that this would be a proper co-production. It wouldn't be a just pack up and box it and send it to the second company. Mm -hmm. um, so we had uh, members of San Francisco Ballet come over to London when I was creating it um, to be in the studio. At the very, very beginning, one of uh, the ballet masters um, came over so that he could see the process from the very, very beginning. And it wasn't, it wasn't secondhand. Um, and... Even in my mind's eye, when I was creating things in London, the dancers here from San Francisco were at the forefront of my mind. And there are roles that were created specifically for people here in San Francisco, even though it was premiered in London. Um, and then watching them do it in the studio, even though someone else had already done it, it was the most fulfilling and humbling, pr proud moment that I could imagine. Um, and the cast that you'll see tonight, um, I've, I, have, I have three and a half, three and a half, wonderful casts here, um, all of them who are very, very special, very, very different, and that's one thing that I enjoy, for them to tell the same story differently. I want people to inject their own personality within it. I think any piece of great art is injected from the artist's own heart and soul. It's a vulnerable and honest thing that we do, which is why I have the most utmost respect for anyone who can get up on stage or create a piece of art, painting, writing, and bear their heart and soul. It's not easy for us to do what we do, but we do it because we love it. And the cast tonight that you'll see with um, Max, who is phenomenal in my eyes. He is called a ballet member, um, but he has transported this character of Victor into places that I ever, never even knew were possible. Um, Lauren Strongin as Elizabeth is pretty much perfection. I don't think you will see someone as true and beautifully honest on stage as her. And then Wang Wei, who's actually making his debut tonight as the creature, is mesmerizing in the most devastatingly beautiful way. So I'm incredibly lucky to have worked with a roster of top-class artists and stars between both companies. And it, as I said, it's, it's incredibly humbling. And it's, 
obvious when we watch it that each member of the cast, from the top to the back, is um, pouring their are pouring their hearts into it. I'm going to say we can take just a couple questions, and so I'm going to go right there. What is the other perfect work um, out there? Afternoon of the Fawn by Jerome Robbins. Uh, it is, I watch it every time, like I'm watching it for the first time. It is simplicity elevated to a level of complete mastermind. I think every artist strives to perfection. I will never get there, and I think if I ever did get there, I would stop. I, I will never pretend that I've done a perfect piece. Frankenstein is not a perfect piece, but we do what we do to constantly strive to better ourselves. And as, as a person, I think that's what we should do in life, always. Um, I create the next piece because I want to better the one that I just did. Um, but Afternoon of a Fawn for me, from Debussy's music to the stage setting to that simple kiss on the cheek, at the end is, it moves me to tears every single time. It is brilliant. At what, 12 minutes long or something? It's, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Okay, we can do just one more. Um, and, Hi. and thank you for your other pieces. I've loved all of them. Um, are you continuing, have you continued to work with the different cast this week? The question, have you continued to work with di the different casts? Um, However, yeah, this yes, week. Yes, definitely. Um, and every show has been different for every cast. People who have, you know, come to multiple performances, even if you see the same cast, there's nuances because I like to allow a certain flexibility within the work for... It's, it's, it's a three-hour production, and it depends on how they're feeling or how their day's gone or maybe how the first act has gone, that the second act should be a response to that, and also the third act. It's a cumulative emotional um, snowball that should happen and I'd, I give them the freedom to explore all of that so from show to show we, we give notes, we keep rehearsing, we're also rehearsing Fearful Symmetries because that's coming up next um, but every, every single day there's, there's nuances and there's stuff to be worked on and the dancers are so so willing and so I mean they're the hardest working group of people I think I know and they're always striving to do something better as well. I, I come out on stage at the end and tell them it was brilliant, and they're like, no, we must fix this, we must it. And I just like, take a moment, just breathe, and just realize what you've done, because it's amazing. Before I let you thank Liam enthusiastically, I do want to remind you that these interviews are recorded. They will appear on the website eventually uh, as podcasts. And of course, I hope you're looking at the newly designed website, which is rich with interviews and references and lots of pointers to the very next best thing. And now I'd like to say thank you, Liam, so much. This has been rich. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts, educational programming, and other information, check out sfballet.org.